Good morning. Grace and peace is ours. And it's a joy to come and talk to you, with you, about the wedding at Cana. Main events like weddings and Christmas that you just had seem to be a little microcosm of all of our lives. What I mean is they never seem to go 100% as we planned. We had a big wedding in our family. Our Josh Roberts uh, got married uh, right after Christmas, before New Year's. It was a great wedding. It was well attended. We had a lot of fun. And at least 30 people got COVID out of the reception. <laughs> and the wedding party had a bus that took them from the venue to the hotel and they left their cars at the hotel and then they went back and had pizza after the big reception and they went to bed and somebody, some group broke into seven of their cars, stole all kinds of stuff. I've done in my, you know, 30, almost 30 years of ministry, count my vicar year, 30 years, I've done at least 185, 190 weddings. Uh, I'm not bragging, but not one of them has gone exactly as planned. <laughs> We've had uh, groomsmen play games with their phone during the service, mother of the bride uh, wigging out. We've had fainting bridesmaids. You've been to weddings, you know that, right? You, you know about your own. We've had broken heels on the bride's shoes right before the wedding. Um, a unity candle would never light one time. <laughs> Just, I, I tell in pre-marriage counseling, I tell a couple, don't plan on it going perfectly. Your expectations will let you down. Plan on it. There's going to be something you're going to laugh about later. But in the moment, you maybe don't, if you think it has to be perfect. Well, here we come to the one wedding that's talked about in the Gospels and something didn't go right. Remember what I said? These main events are like a microcosm of our whole life. It doesn't go all according to how you'd hope, right? And how you plan. And uh, we search in life for that place and time where it just all goes perfectly. Maybe right now with all the professional football teams that people that follow football are hoping that it They'd make it to the Super Bowl and win. Maybe a little glimpse after one of those games is everybody acts like it's the moment in their lives where everything went just right, right? And it doesn't. It isn't. There's a place where everything is just right. It's heaven. And until then, there's Jesus. <laughs> and that's what we take from the wedding at Cana. There's Jesus. The wedding didn't go perfectly, but there's Jesus at the wedding. That changes everything. And that's what John, when he wrote the story, looking back at it, wanted us to take. There's Jesus. Don't try to do life without Jesus. Do it with Jesus. Don't try to do a wedding without Jesus. Don't try to do your job without Jesus. Don't try to do a marriage without Jesus. College, work, repair jobs at home, music. Don't do it without Jesus. So here we are at the wedding. Cana. It's about an hour plus walk from Nazareth up in Galilee. It's early in Jesus' ministry. You know, he was reared up there. He, he spent a few years with his parents hiding in Egypt. And they came back to Galilee when he was a little boy. We have the one story in Luke 2 about he was 12. And then the next, all the next stories, including the beginning of John's gospel, he's 30. He's, gathered, he's been baptized by John the Baptist. 
He has started his public ministry. He has chosen some of his disciples, uh, Peter, Philip, Andrew, and Nathaniel has just been chosen uh, right there. It happened just the verses before this chapter two. It's in the end of chapter one of John. So if you're reading it the way it was written, he, he, he chooses Nathaniel and he tells Nathaniel, from now on, if you follow me, you're gonna see the angels of God ascending and descending on my shoulders, meaning miracles and blessing are gonna happen for the world like they happened for Jacob in the story in the Old Testament with the Jacob's ladder and angels going up and down. I'm going to be the focal point of the blessing of God on this planet and Nathaniel, you get to see it. And boom, chapter two, wedding at Cana. You kind of see how that all flows, right? So they go to Cana, not Canaan, that's the whole region in Old Testament times, a little town called Cana, and they go there for a wedding. Probably a family member in the extended family of, of Jesus or a, or a very close friend, Mary. It says Mary's invited, I'll, I'll get into the story. Uh, on the third day of the wedding, on, a, on the third day from Nathaniel being chosen, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. He only has six of the disciples chosen thus far. He had 12, ultimately. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. There is tons to learn from this mother-son exchange at this wedding. There's a whole lot John doesn't tell us because for the purpose that he told us the story, details that we would otherwise want to know, um, he doesn't, they don't serve his purpose. Like, how long was the wedding? Most Jewish weddings, if you could afford it and people had the time, were about a week long. You would have a, a, a betrothal, a, you know, engagement months earlier. You'd have a ceremony to get married like at the beginning of that week. And then you wouldn't consummate or live together till the end of the week until the, all the parties were over. And it was feasts and laughter and vacation and lots of hanging out. But there'd be these moments in the week, kind of like the 12 days of Christmas. <laughs> and they, but not everybody could afford the same, right? So we don't know, is this in the middle of that week or the end? But it's a culminating event. It's a, it's a party with food and wine and happiness. It's in that way, very similar to our wedding reception. And they've run out of the wine that would be part of the big celebratory nature of the feast. And, and Mary is she knows this has happened probably before the regular guests have. And maybe family is leaning on her a little bit. You, you know, there's no my HEB around the corner and you can't get in a gasoline powered car and drive over there quick and get a case of wine for the party. And things are hard to come by in the old world. And it's, we're stuck. We don't have a birthday cake and the birthday's gonna be over in 30 minutes like Pastor Herring was alluding to the children. So what are we gonna do? Well, 
My son is God. Think of what Mary's thinking. My son is God. So out of the whole wedding finds Jesus. They have no more wine. Now most husbands would uh, probably, including me, miss the point. Or act like we missed the point, right? And your point is? They have no more wine. What do you... But Jesus knew exactly what she was saying. She was saying, you're God, take care of it, please. Do, if you would, do something for them because they don't have any more wine. Don't let this be an embarrassment for them. Don't let this be a trouble, a, a blanket, a wet blanket on the party. Uh, he says something that in our culture would be kind of almost rude. If you said to your wife, woman, or to your mother, woman, that would be pretty sharp, wouldn't it? It's not the same. He, he could say mother, but it's not as in their culture. There are, there are quotes in other places where woman is, a, is formal, but it's not. It's not rude. But he is saying... He is, not, he is saying something by not saying mother. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Now you are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ and you uphold him as your Lord and Savior. You look through those eyes, of you revere him and you, you, it's easier for you to take. But if you just take it at face value in this politically correct environment, that we're in, this is, this is crass to a lot of people. Why did he say it? My hour has not yet come. He's saying, I am fully now in my adult mission to save the world. I've been baptized by John. I have some of my disciples assembled. She knows all this. And I am on a mission to save the world. Now, if there's going to be a miracle, Who's going to tell me to do it? The father. Just like when he was 12 and he was in the temple and he said, didn't you know that I should be about my father's business in his house? He's 30 now. My, the father in heaven. She knows that. He knows she knows that. And so she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. There's something beautiful about this. She is not emotionally hurt by his reproof. He's laid the boundaries, right? And she has faith that she's told God, the son, her son, what the problem is. She's connected all the dots. Mary is the model of peace. She has peace. Do whatever he tells you. If Jesus told them, serve water, the, the wine is over at this party. That was, she let go. And this is, this, this is a model of true prayer that we, Paul talks about in Philippians chapter four, where he wrote while he was in prison and, and afraid of being persecuted to death, he wrote, don't be anxious about anything, but when you're anxious through prayer and petition to God, say a prayer and the peace of God that passes all understanding as you give it to God in prayer will guard your heart and mind. 
And the miracle of peace has come over Mary's soul and she's not worried about no more wine anymore and she says, do whatever they tell you. Why am I highlighting that? Well, it's, it's the word of God today for our hearts. But I'm doing it because I want you to maintain and have that peace. And I know how, what a threat it is because I'm your pastor. One of them been preaching to you about it and I struggle with it while I'm preaching it. And I preach this idea from scripture many times in these years and it's still a struggle so I want to highlight because the spirit is highlighting it in John chapter 2 that he wants you to have peace and the way you get peace is by practicing true prayer you know what we do if we don't practice prayer this way we stress we get depressed we stress other people out by putting the, the push and the burden on them we criticize we complain we, do, we scheme, we lie, we cheat, we try to get what we think we want. And I'm not just saying that from my own head and experience. I'm also saying it. James chapter 4, he says, you have not because you ask not. James is the brother of Jesus writing inspired scripture. John, James 4, you have not because you ask not. And then when you pray and ask, you think you're going to use it for your own selfish means. And so God doesn't give it. So then you fight and quarrel and scheme and stress. He says all of that in, John, in James 4. This is what God wants. Be a Mary. Pray to Jesus and let it go. Then say, I don't know what's about to happen, but now, Lord, do whatever you want. Let the situation play out. Let me just... Well, I'm going to hold, hold it. Let's see what Jesus does. He does a miracle, right? He's going to turn water into wine, which is fabulous. Here's the deal. He reproved her. You might think that she would think, well, having been reproved, uh, we're not getting why, right? But she doesn't. She trusts that maybe we will. And right there, I want you to see one more thing about, and then I'm moving on to this miracle. I want you to see this. You may at times unwittingly think you shouldn't pray because you're really not worthy. And if you have prayed so many times and it didn't quite turn out the way that you prayed and prayed and prayed that it would. So maybe God's kind of sick of you asking. So you just need to stop and you need to not practice prayer so much about things because after all, you've got, you've got all these feelings about it. And God says, no, be a Mary. Give it to me every time and have the same peace and the same faith every time and trust that he's going to take care of it. And then here comes the miracle. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind they used for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them with the, to the brim. Then he told them, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had now been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And he called who? The bridegroom. And he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. He made the best wine. He didn't just save the party by having some wine. He made the best wine. He didn't just help the groom save face. He actually helped the groom look better than all other grooms. 
And a little footnote, in our culture in Texas, in America, who usually pays for the reception? The bride's parents and the bride, right? Not, not always, and it's not a rule, but usually, right? And in here, who's paying for the reception? The groom. He's the sponsor of it all. And so the, the master of the banquet who's been hired by the bridegroom comes over to the groom and he goes, you are awesome. You brought out the best. And Jesus has done a miracle over the top and Mary had asked and got rebuked while she prayed. So do you see what's going on? Even when you pray and you're just being a you feel like being a whiny child of God, talking to him again. Don't worry that he's suddenly going to say, you know, you're really getting on my nerves and I am not going to bless you because you're getting on my nerves. He went ahead and did what he rebuked his mother about and he did it over the top. He gave him why. He was just telling her he was taking his orders from the father. and The father had whispered to him, go ahead and give them why. So he showed his glory, that he is God, the Savior God. What Mary already knew, but now his disciples, who are new to the party, pun intended, now they know we're walking around with God. It says that the last, the last word, the disciples believed in him. You know, the wedding at Cana is a big enough story. You don't need a lot of stories to confirm that God does often answer prayers with a yes. When we teach prayer to our, our, you and to our confirmation students, we always say there's four answers to prayer. Yes, no, wait, here's something better. But, but often in our experience, we, we doubt that there's going to be very many yeses. And often his answer is yes, right? So they say that we look for our keys 17 days out of our life, by the end of a 75, 85 year life. <laughs> I think I probably look 30 days. <laughs> um, but learning about prayer, and yes, his, uh, it, for me, it's a silly little thing, but it's happened about looking for keys or anything else I lose. If I will stop and sit down and pray, and I usually try to do it out loud, I don't care who's in the room. That, I mean, as an extrovert, I don't ever care who's in the room. And I, and I pray out loud, Lord Jesus, if you know where my, you do know where my keys are. If it's in your mercy and your will, I'm sorry I didn't pray about it the last 30 minutes, but now I thought to do that. Please show me where those keys are. Very, very often before I get up out of the chair, I remember where they possibly will be and go find them. Now once, when I was 18, my, my nephew, who was three, stuck all my keys inside of an eight-track player and we didn't find them for three years. That was way too late for me. I had, something better was I had to go get all the other keys made again. But um, You know what I'm talking about, right? One time in church here, we've often prayed for rain in the middle of the summer. We prayed for rain on a 10-day forecast. The last 10 days, this 10 days, there was no forecast of any rain and we begged God for rain. And it rained and the sun was shining when we walked out of church that day. It was amazing, right? And it's, we, we know people that have been cured of cancer and tumors have disappeared. And you know, you know, and you've got your stories. I'm trying to just say, please, let God tell you today when you came to church, don't forget to pray to me. And don't forget I love to say yes. That's what he's saying. 
Don't do life without Jesus. Life's not perfect out here on planet Earth, but it's got Jesus. Expect a miracle. He made that he made that bridegroom look great, didn't he? In front of all of his family and all of his guests and the master of the banquet. People would go on after that at weddings, bringing out the good wine first and the bad wine later. But one wedding they went to, the best wine was saved for last. He also made the bridegroom at that wedding look good before the Heavenly Father, just like he made you and me look good before the Heavenly Father. See, what Jesus did at the wedding in Cana, he did for his wedding in heaven to you. That's what that song was about before the sermon. He didn't use purification pots, but he used baptism. He didn't use wine to be drank at a dinner, but wine to be drank at the Lord's Supper. He looks at you and he says, don't bring your own life. That would be soiled clothes to the wedding. He sends you his own wedding dress for you and says, dear bride, wear this. I give you my righteousness. You're going to be drop dead gorgeous at the wedding when we're together. There is a moment that all of us Christians and many non-Christians look at at a wedding when that, we look at that groom when the bride is coming down the aisle, right? right? Tommy Pannenbacher's wedding that was just a month or two ago, they put that, somebody put that little clip of Tommy's face when his bride, uh, Breck, walked out. And it, it got like two million hits on, on Facebook, Instagram, because it, it was just that, that moment with that groom. That's Jesus in you. He sees you that way right now and he sees you coming to the day you're going to come to the perfect heaven and the perfect wedding with him. And that's what he wanted at that wedding in Cana was he wanted to show his glory when the father said it was time. And for those three years, he kept showing that glory. And it wasn't just the glory of giving people blessings. It was the glory of giving sinners blessings. <laughs> people who don't deserve it. That he loved. All the way down to Father forgive them. They don't know what they're doing on the cross. And it is finished. Was him giving the robe. The wedding dress to the bride. And you and me for thousands of years now later. We look at the stories. And we see that that's our savior. And we're by faith. We're grabbing the dress. Remember how the story ends. It's on the screen. His disciples believed in him. They started doing life with him. They followed him. They had Jesus in this messed up, difficult world. But they had a Jesus that they were learning. Gave them his own righteousness. The way he gave that groom the wine that he needed. And I want you to leave here not just knowing and trusting that he'll listen to your prayers. But that he'll listen to your prayers, sinner that you are, because he's already made you righteous in his sight. And he's already wrapped you in his wedding dress for, you, for his wedding with you. So you live on the inside circle with Jesus. You're not on the outside looking in. You're on the inside circle. You're as close to him as his mother. 
Don't do life without Jesus. Amen.